0: What's the one thing you need to know about the homes on reality TV? They're just not realistic. Today's idea of reality in TV, media, and culture set up unreal expectations of what a home should be. Realtor.com encourages people to stop letting media define their home-buying reality for them because only you know what you really need. Realtor.com comes with all the tools and features you need to find a home that's right for you, whether that be price tracking, school searches, text alerts, It's not about finding a dream home, but a home you can dream in. Find homes for the real of us on realtor.com. This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. I was in a mastermind a few years ago when Gary looked out at the room and asked a question. What do you think the purpose of a goal is? Many people shared answers, all summarized as to achieve a result. Gary offered a different opinion, which is the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment. Based on that result that you want to achieve, whether it be a year from now, five years from now, someday from now, how do you know that the way you are behaving today is appropriate with the type of goals that you want to achieve in the long run? This is relevant because almost all of us are leaders. Whether you have a direct report or not, all leadership begins with self-leadership. You are a leader for yourself. Based on that, let's ask a big question that's gonna require you to search for a big answer. How do you become the leader you would follow? When you imagine that type of person, what comes to mind? Based on that, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make Becoming the leader you would follow, easier or unnecessary? To explore this question, we are having on someone who is a major thought leader in the space. If you have ever read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey, uh, that is the Franklin Covey Organization. The person you are going to meet today is the executive vice president of thought leadership for the organization. He is the author of two books, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow, as well as Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team. This was part of our monthly One Thing webinar where every month we bring on a best-selling author whose books are aligned with the one thing to help you explore ways that you can live the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. If you would like to see our upcoming guest and join us live, go to the onething.com slash webinar. That is with the number one in the URL, the onething.com slash webinar. Our hope is that by the end of this episode, you can identify one thing, that if you just started doing that every single day and turned into a habit, would help you become the type of leader you'd like to follow. We'll ask you some more questions after we get into this conversation with best-selling author, Scott Miller.
1: Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. Their chef created dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. We are very proud
0: to have on Mr. Scott Miller with us today. Scott, welcome. Jeff, thanks for the invitation and the platform. I'm excited to join you. Our pleasure, my friend. Our pleasure. Tell us a little bit about you. How did you get to where you are today?
2: Oh, three steps forward and four steps back. Repeated every month for 30 years. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, uh, I'm the product of great leaders. I mean, about 13 people that really believed in me, extended trust to me, pre-forgave me, expected me to succeed, but prepared for me to fail. And kind of wrapped their arms around me. So I started at the Walt Disney Company in Orlando, Florida. I'm from Florida originally. and moved to Salt Lake City, Park City, Utah, about 25 years ago. I uh, worked for the Disney Company for four years. After four years, they invited me to leave, which is a nice way at Disney to say, uh, you're out. And because I was a jerk. I was immature. I was technically talented, but I just you know had low EQ and low interpersonal skills even though I was raised from a really solid family, right? In Central Florida in the 80s, had the privilege of being recruited out to the Franklin Covey Company by Stephen Covey. And I've had uh, an amazing 24-year run. Uh, I started as a frontline salesperson, became a sales leader, vice president, executive vice president, chief marketing officer. And now I've written two books that the marketplace has made best-selling books. So now I'm hoping this speaking and writing gig works out for me.
0: There you go. There you go. So I mean, There, there's a quote from Jim Rohn that changed my life, which is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It was that quote that got me into business with Gary and Jay. Hmm. You got into business directly with Stephen Covey. When you think about the time that you got to invest with him... What were some of the key things that you learned that just changed the course of your life?
2: Yeah, I actually have three big transition figures. I didn't mention this, but back in 1986, I joined George H.W. Bush's presidential campaign Hmm. with he and Senator Quayle. And they had an amazing impact on me for about two plus years. And then, of course, the Disney company had an amazing impact. With Stephen Covey, I spent 15 years tutoring under him, as did many 100 people in the firm. He passed about seven years ago. He taught me some profound things. He taught me the difference between an efficient mindset Mm. and an effective mindset. And we can go into that, but I'm a very efficient person. And that's important in certain parts of your life, but not in relationships. And I have to really struggle. I do struggle with knowing when to be efficient and when to be effective. Effective with people, efficient with things. He taught Mm. me this idea of with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. Um, that more is not better; better is better. That isn't his quote, but Stephen was all about uh, measuring twice, cutting once, doing your best quality work, managing your relationships with others, your reputation. He was a man that had an unimpeachable character. And to your point, I mean, you know, I've been around people who, you know, didn't have unimpeachable character, and mm-hmm. you see, you tend to see your own values slide down your own ethics you know creep around the corner you tend to cut corners and so you're absolutely right when you associate with people who are of high character of high competence you keep your own level high too stephen covey was a remarkable human being who walked
0: his talk very very cool very cool you fast forward today you have published two books which somebody already asked what were they so the first one management mess of leadership success. And the second one was everyone deserves a great manager. Where did the ideas for these come from? Yeah. What was that thing that you saw in the marketplace that made you say, you know what? Yeah. Um, I got some free time. I think I'll just, I'll just crank out a book.
2: I had no free time. I have yeah, a 60 hour a week job at Franklin Covey. I'm the father of three. I'm married. I have a podcast. I write an article for Inc. magazine. I'm keynoting. There was no time. There was no time. But here's what happened. The the first book I wrote, Management Mess to Leadership Success, came out in June, uh, became a a new release, number one on Amazon for six solid weeks. And here's why I wrote this book. Because leadership is hard. Leadership is not as easy as most of the academics and the professors and the CEOs and the leadership consultants say it is. Leadership is tough. Leadership of people is not for everyone. Not everyone should be a leader. It's unrelenting. Mm. It can be unrewarding. It's, um, it's messy. And I wrote a book that was very different than most of the other leadership books to say, you know what? Vulnerability is a leadership competency. And that when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. And I had a lot of mistakes in my career. Nothing blatantly illegal, immoral, or unethical. Sometimes close. but never across the line. And I, as a Catholic, I'm pretty good at confessing my sins. So I said, you know what? I'm going to write a book that just talks about, not a confessional, but talks about the struggles that I've had that everybody faces, 30 challenges every leader faces personally and professionally. So I got up every morning for six months and wrote from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Wrote this book, Published it with Mango Publishing, and it sold 25,000 copies in 100 days, which in the book business is pretty good. Not as good as the one thing by any stretch, which I love this book. Give me a chance to talk about this. Yeah, um, And not, not gratuitously, I love this book. Uh, I wrote the book because I felt like not everybody is the button-down leader. Leadership doesn't come naturally to everybody. And I wrote the book for the millions of Scott Millers out there that are a mm-hmm. bit of a in a china shop. We mean well. We often find ourselves in trouble for saying the wrong thing or, or going overboard or not being sensitive enough. So I wrote this book for all of the millions of people like me that needed to be validated, that you know, to own your mess is a good thing. You know, Jeff, someone wrote a review on Amazon a few weeks ago that just trashed me. This book is horrible. Scott just licensed bad licenses bad behavior. I'm like, no, you didn't read it because I don't license bad behavior, and I don't encourage you to wallow in your mess. I encourage you to own your mess. Be Mm. vulnerable. Allow others to own theirs and learn from your messes. Another, I loved another review on Amazon. It said, a mess is a terrible thing to waste, a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. You learn so much more from your messes than you do your successes. So that's why I wrote that book, This book, I wish I wrote this book, Um, this book, (laughs) Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, I'm the co-author of with two Franklin Covey colleagues. It hit um, number three in the Wall Street Journal, I think three weeks ago, very proud of this. This is just an uber practical book, six critical practices to lead a great team. And um, that came out of a course that we have by the same name. Because I think, again, so many leadership books, especially for the new manager, are unrelatable. So this is a super practical book. I like things that are real, raw, and implementable.
0: Yeah. What do you see as the difference between a leader and a manager?
2: Yeah, it's it's another great question. In fact, we angsted when we wrote this book. We angsted over, should we call it, everyone deserves a great manager, everyone deserves a great leader. I mean, there's a cottage industry out there debating leadership versus management, right? Dr. Covey used to say, manage things, lead people. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's there's as many similarities as there are differences. I think a lot of managers need to be better leaders. Mm. I think a lot of leaders need to be better managers. So I think everyone's goal is to be a better manager and a better leader. The reason we named it Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, A, it was Pithy, and B, our editor, Simon & Schuster, said, you know what, I've just been forced into a management role And I have no idea what I'm what I'm doing, and I don't want to manage people. She said, "I think most people move into management first, and then kind of they move into leadership. That may or may not be true." In the opening of the book, we say we we know the debate; we're experts on the debate. But release yourself from it. We're going to use the terms interchangeably. And I'll tell you, when I was promoted into my first role to lead people, I followed a lot of great leaders. In fact, a great leader was taken out of the job and the president put me in because i think they were overleading they were mm. so focused on mission and vision and values and on strategy no one was holding the sales team accountable for their forecast no one was managing the pipeline no one was really delivering on the quarterly goals he was very talented he could eat my lunch intellectually on an organizational development conversation but they needed someone that could manage and i think there's a season to manage and a season to lead, and sometimes mm. we overlead and undermanage. So I would say the terms are different, but they kind of lock step together. That's my that's my experience.
1: I, I
0: mean, what I heard you say is leadership is a lot about the vision and almost teaching people the way to think, whereas management is that tactical accountability to yeah. accomplishing what needs to get accomplished.
2: Yeah, well, well said. Nice recap. I also think leadership is modeling, right? Is modeling mm. trustworthy behaviors modeling respect modeling the right values of the organization managers model but i think a key leadership role is to model the culture create the culture that people don't quit because as you know the cliche people don't quit their jobs they quit their boss and their culture
0: yeah well i, I will share just in my time with with gary and with jay they really summed it down to in their minds leadership is teaching people to think you know, it's, it's so easy. And we see inside these companies how many of you find that when your direct report comes and asks you a question, you find yourself wanting to give them the answer because it's faster. And I, it was just so clear for me, even from my first 90 days when I went to Jay with questions and he stopped me and he said, Hey, I've got thoughts and I've got an answer. And my job as a leader is to teach you to think. I'm not going to tell you the answer until you tell me what you think. The answer is and then let me coach you that the ways that we would think about it. And what was amazing is in less than ninety days, I stopped coming to him with those questions. Mm-hmm. We became fairly autonomous. So I, I would I would challenge those of you who have direct reports to start asking the question when my people come to me, what do I do? Do I give them the answer or am I leading back with questions?
2: Jeff, can I build on that? Please. One of my favorite leadership books is written by Liz Wiseman. She wrote a book called Multipliers. See the other one, there. right there? Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Liz is a good friend of mine. She endorsed Management Mess, and Liz rocked my world. Right? This idea of
1: your the idea job is guy.
2: yeah, you're that's that's me, bro. I, yep. You know it, right? I mean, I as the marketing CMO, I was the idea guy. The problem was. I had an endless list of ideas and everyone was chasing all of them because of my charisma, my influence, my power. When in fact, I was actually diminishing the organization's flywheel because everything was chasing everything that came out of Scott's mouth. What Liz taught me, to your point, was as a leader, your job is not to be the genius, as you know, but to be the genius maker of others. I'll admit something to you in a, in a moment of immense vulnerability. I'm 51. It wasn't until I read Liz's book at about age forty-nine, that I realized my entire career, I've been hiring smart people, but people who I didn't think were smarter than me, because mm. I was so insecure that they would one up me and make me irrelevant or expose my insecurities. And so now these were smart people, and in fact they probably were smarter than me. But I thought they were very smart, but not so smart they could eclipse me in the organization. And I came to realize, no, 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 the opposite is what I should be doing, not what I did for 25 years, but for the next 25 years, my job is to hire the most palpably smart people in the world, people who are noticeably more intelligent than I am on marketing automation, on SEO, on Google Analytics. Get them in here and let them skunk me intellectually. My job is to be a talent magnet, to create a culture where they can stay and thrive and then pollinate them throughout the organization. Don't hold them in marketing. Put them in supply chain, operations, and sales, and management. And I tell you, it took me a long time to learn that. Fortunately, I learned it at 50, not 60. But I would implore all your listeners, as a leader, your top job, you say to think. Tied with that is talent magnet. Attract Mm -hmm. and retain quality people that are palpably smarter than you are. Step back, cut the red tape out, let them do their job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think Gary was talking about this the other day. The way that you attract those people, first and foremost, you have to cast a vision where they can actually see having everything they could possibly want by being inside your world. You have to cast that big vision for them so that they go, that's the rocket ship I want to be on. And then once they're inside your world, you're teaching them to think so they can get what they need when they need it. They're not stifled. They're actually able to thrive inside inside your environment.
2: That the top question that's asked of all of Franklin Covey's new hire candidates, what's it like to work here? Everyone wants to know this, right? Three and a half percent unemployment. People have options. People now, it's a buyer's market. People want to know, what's it like to work inside this organization? Because people don't have any tolerance for bad bosses anymore or for dictatorial leaders or any of that, right? You can go across the street, earn the same amount of money or more. When you realize that you spend more time at work with your colleagues than you do awake, with your family and friends you want it to be an as untoxic healthy positive culture as possible
0: that's the leader's job so let's let's because there's an interesting balance that needs to get struck here because there's the there we're a culture of people we put our people first we create this yeah. amazing environment all around our people and you counterbalance that with a, cult, a culture of results yeah. where people are clear on their expectations and it is a results oriented culture yeah What are the simple things that people can start doing to strike that balance? Because I've got to imagine if you have too much of one and not the other, it falls apart.
2: Yeah, absolutely, right? Um, No margin, no mission, no mission, no margin. I I think this idea that people are an organization's most valuable asset is total bunk. That is not true. (laughs) It is the relationships between your people that are your most valuable asset. If Jeff is a Rhodes Scholar, And Scott graduated from MIT with a master's in chemical engineering. But we can't get along if we can't collaborate. If you and I can't work through our messes or challenges, then we're no good to the organization. We've got to have the interpersonal maturity and know our blind spots to work well together. It is the relationships between people that is every organization's ultimate competitive advantage. To your question around a results-oriented culture, everyone wants to win. Right? Everybody wants to crush it and win. Whether it's on revenue, product development, client retention, living your mission, giving back to your um to um your your community. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to win, so everybody needs to know if they're winning. So I think great leadership is also around setting very clear, achievable goals. It doesn't mean they're not stretch goals.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But there are some there are some leaders that set their goals so high. Well, you can't achieve them because if you achieve them, you lose. If you win, you're loo- you lose because the goal must have been set so low. So I think there is great psychology and deliberation in setting goals that are stretch goals that people can accomplish. And they know if they're winning, right? The goal is from X to Y by win. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. We're, going to, we're going to increase revenue by $480,000 by October 31st. And then- here is my contribution. Here is your contribution. And you then peel that down into behaviors. I'm going to go see 14 clients in the next three weeks. How many clients are you going to go see? How many hours are you going to have in FaceTime meetings? If you want to build a high performance culture, the leader has to decide that they have to learn something new or do something different and have the vulnerability and the courage to walk out to your team to say, you know what? I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go hold four open houses this weekend, right? Or whatever it is. I'm going to go prospect with 14 more mortgage brokers, whatever that industry is. Now, what are you going to do? And if you need some help, I'm happy to brainstorm it with you. Once you take these audacious goals and break them down into behaviors and you hold everyone accountable, including yourself, you will have a results-oriented culture.
0: You said something there that I feel is easy for people to skip over. The world doesn't need a new way to set goals. They need a way to have a relationship with them. And what you just hit on, Scott, is that people might understand the big result. Okay, this is the revenue that we're gonna drive this year, and I understand that mine is this portion of it, or I need to create this new product, or I need to improve the customer service system. Yet they don't understand on a behavior basis, the lead domino. That if this week they just flicked their finger, Yeah, effortlessly it falls. And because the dominoes are lined up, over time, it makes everything else easier or unnecessary. People might say in a personal life, I'm going to transform my health this year. Great. What does that mean you need to have for dinner tonight? They don't know how to bridge that gap. Walk us through how you've seen people identify the behaviors they need to be exuding on a weekly basis to be in alignment with their goals.
2: Yeah, I think that that... Every one of us has some blind spots, right? We all have some lack of self-awareness. And sometimes it just takes the leader to sit their team member down, not prescribe, but let's talk about it. Let's brainstorm. Mm-hmm. What, are the, what are the things you could be doing specifically to help you progress your goal? I'm, I'm going to segue because this is going to feel gratuitous. But I'm passionate. I'm on your podcast because I am passionate about what you teach. I read 100 business books a year. Like you, I host a pretty widely distributed podcast. But it's the largest leadership newsletter in the world now. And I read this book as one of 100. And when I interviewed Jay Papazan, this book just focused my thinking on taking all of the options, the overwhelm of the endless number of things I could be doing and funneling them down Into like the one thing I can do today, right? It's the one thing. And the book is so simple, but it's so prophetic to to really narrow your focus. Because, you know, more is not better, better is Mm -hmm. better. And if you really have the discipline to say no to good at the expense of great, you'll see magic in your career, right? Because none of us have less options today than we did last week. And next Mm -hmm. month, we're going to have exponential more options. And next year, it's not getting easier. It's getting more complicated with more choice. And I think the difference is the leader that has exponential impact builds as a skill discipline and discernment. And to your book, The One Thing is really able to exercise extraordinary focus and the ability to say no to everything else and there's no magic on what that is, right? I mean, you have to be very deliberate. You have to, to some trial and error. But the most impactful people I know are doing few things. You mm-hmm. I mean, look, at, look at Seth Godin. Seth Godin is a dear friend of mine, endorsed my book, been on my podcast, been to his home, been to his office. Seth is the most calibrated, deliberate person I know. He really does one thing. He writes a daily blog uninterrupted for, I don't know, like 15 years. It's free. It's every day. Hasn't missed a day. Everything else flows from that. His speeches, his books, doesn't consult. He has, you know, has Alt MBA, but his one thing is every day he writes this blog, and it's the largest followed blog in the world because he practices what you've written about in the one thing.
0: I would challenge you, who's with us live or listening to this later on the podcast, what is your one thing? You know there are some people like a Seth Godin who have a clear one thing that stays consistent every day. And if you have that thing, like for many salespeople, it's lead generation. Do a sixty-six day challenge and make that thing a habit that sticks. And if you're a leader and you've got multiple priorities that are balancing, I would just ask if I ask you to show me your planner or show me your calendar, would we just see time every day reserved for you to just knock that lead domino down? Or are you spending your days in your inbox? Going from meeting to meeting, looking up at the end of the day, going, I was busy. Did I get anything done,
2: Jeff? Can I build on that? You know, uh, they're not—they're not paying me. I read a hundred business books a year. I'm in the book business. This book, uh, next to Liz Wiseman's book, uh, by the way, uh, Leif Bab Leif Babbin wrote the co-wrote the book um, Extreme, Extreme Ownership. Ownership. Oh, yep. had him on a few weeks ago. One of my favorites as well. This is one of my top three books. This book had a profound impact on my career, and I've had a fairly successful career. But I was when I read this book, the timing was genius because I was in the middle of hosting a weekly radio program on iHeartRadio. Radio. I was yep. hosting a leadership podcast for Franklin Covey. I was pitching a reality TV series to Bravo. I write, like I mentioned, a weekly article for Inc. Magazine. I contribute to Thrive Global. I write for. American City Business Journal. I am a chief marketing officer. I, I'm a dad. I'm selling a book to Collins. I'm writing this book. Everyone deserves a great manager. When I read this book, I tore out several pages and put them on my nightstand. <laughs> is, it, it, it was, is, is the concept, is it planned to the now? I may have goal it wrong.
0: Setting, goal setting to the now.
2: Goal setting to the now. And this book like rocked my world. And I said, I have like 15 things going on. And I'm kind of doing them all about B quality, some C quality. And after I read this book, I canceled my iHeartRadio program called Great Life, Great Career. I was getting 45,000 listens an episode, not too shabby. I stopped it. And I said, hmm. the one thing I want to do is in addition to my my you know executive role at Franklin Covey is I want to build the Mess to Success brand because the publisher offered me a seven book deal. Management mess is the first book. The second one is marketing mess, and then job mess, and then sales mess, communication mess. Parent, offer me a seven-book deal. Because of your book, every night, I write a chapter in marketing mess to brand success. It's due and Thanksgiving. The next one is this job mess. And because of your book, The One Thing, in seven years from now, I won't have 15 things going on that are all C-quality. I will have seven books out And I'll have built myself a brand around the Mess to Success series, and that will be unstoppable. I'm going to be the chicken soup for the soul guy six years from now. And that is because of your book, The Power of This um, Goal Setting to the Now, as uh, the best thing I've heard in 20 years in the industry.
0: Well, thank you. um, Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. And for, for those of you that are not familiar with what it is, it's the idea that... The way most people set goals is they just ask, what do I need to do this coming year? And they make them a goal. The challenge is when you only look out so far like a year, it's really tough to tell if that thing that looks attractive over a year is actually going to bring you toward a life worth living or pull you in the exact opposite direction. The low-hanging fruit was a lie that got cut from the book because the book would have just been too long. There are things in our life that might bring us value over the short term like a year, but actually take us in the wrong direction for what we want out of life. So what Gary and Jay suggest is you go way out someday from now. We had people this past weekend at our couple's goal-setting retreat sit down and imagine, what does life look like 10, 20, 30 years from now? That, by the way, is not an easy question to answer. It requires that you search way past that wall of, I don't know. You have to search. But once you get a sense of direction, you can look back and ask, where would I have to be five years from now to feel like I'm on track for the someday? And once you get that direction, you ask, great, what would I have to do this year to be on track for my five? This is when you start to get into a rhythm and you can say, well, if that's what I want to do this year, what do I have to do this month? Okay, got that. If that's what I got to do this month, what do I have to do this week? If that's on the week, what do I got to do today? What do I have to do right now to the point that you know that if I look at my 411 before I look at my email, I'm checking my priorities before I check everyone else's. That is me acting in order of priority and developing a habit that takes me where I want to go.
2: You ought to have a podcast. Damn, you're good, man. <laughs> that's <laughs> good stuff, Thanks, man. It's true. It, I credit the one thing with my ability to say no to like five really good things and say yes to one good thing. And every day when I get up now and I write the chapter of my, sec- my, my, my third book, but the second of my series, I credit yeah. it to the thinking in the one thing because that's going to get me to my end result.
0: Well, thank you. We, we appreciate that. I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned you have kids. How old are they?
2: I have three boys, five, seven, and nine.
0: Okay, sweet. So my kids are, are six and three. So we, we both are in the young age. What are you teaching them that you wish every kid learned?
2: Oh, I'm very clear on this. Um, we are a religious family. So I am teaching my kids that they have a purpose. And that mm. they were created for a purpose and they may not know it yet and they may not know it for a long time, but they were created for a purpose and that their job is to uncover that purpose, discover it, or if they can't discover it, create it. Um, and under, you know, just eventually work towards understanding it. I'm working on building my children's self-esteem, not overinflated. I'm working on creating three gentlemen that we respect people. That we um, understand people have different choices and decisions. What they do is not what we do. What their family does isn't what our family does. That at the end of the day, my goal is to have these three boys remain friends for life. They need Mm. to forgive each other. They need to tolerate each other's differences. They need to love each other because my job is to launch them well into a tough world. But at the end of the day, these three brothers have been given a major gift. I mean, three brothers that are like two years apart, that's a huge gift. You won't see it most days at the dinner table, right? Or in the morning, lots of fighting and hitting and screaming and going on. But I'm teaching them, uh, respect your parents, respect your teachers. We don't smoke, we don't vape, we don't drink before the legal age, we don't do drugs, we don't use pornography. Uh, This is not a strict household. We just have clear standards. And we don't pick our standards on what the neighbors are doing, or who has an Xbox, or who has- you know, a snowmobile, or who's doing football? You know, we're very clear on what we do in our family, and I'm proud of uh, I'm proud of our boys. Uh, they're great boys. It's a lot of work, as you know. Three was a tipping point. Three was insane. Yeah. Three boys in five years. I do not recommend. The world <laughs> needs a kinder, gentler place, and we're manufacturing, creating three young gentlemen who are going to contribute to that. I have no idea if they're going go to if they're gonna go to Stanford or if they're going to go to become a plumber. Both are great. I want them to be happy and joyful and kind.
0: Well, here, here's what I'm hearing out of everything you just said. There's purpose and intention behind it. You're not waking up every day and going, I hope I do a good job. It's, it's no, clear that yeah. you and your wife have thought yeah. it through and asked, yeah. how do we be appropriate in the moment as parents so that we're teaching our kids to think and get what they want out of their life? And that brings me to the next question, which is the title of this episode was How to Become the Type of Leader You Wanna Follow. Yeah. So here's my question for you. What's the one thing someone can do such that by doing it would make them the leader people would want to follow?
2: Gosh, the one thing I I, I, I uh, I'm gonna share a thing. Okay because there's so many talents right listening empathy clarity having high courage conversations talking straight i mean there's so many things in the book i'm very passionate about i'm very passionate about vulnerability as a leader in an organization if you want to create a culture where people achieve extraordinary results they need to know that you love them and love means different things in different cultures Whenever I keynote Jeff, I'll always ask a question. And it goes like this. I say, why is the guy three cubicles down from you eating popcorn for lunch on Thursday? Why is the guy three cubicles down from you eating popcorn for lunch on Thursday? And hardly anybody ever gets it right. Except yesterday, I was keynoting to an NBA team, the top 50 leaders of a fine NBA organization. The CEO was there, the company ownership was there, top 50 leaders. The only person in the room that could answer the question was the administrative assistant to the CEO. The answer is, the reason the guy is eating popcorn on Thursday is because payday is on Friday. Mm. Because the guy just put his last $3 in his gas tank to get to work and to get home. And payday happens at midnight, and at 12 o'clock, he or his spouse are going down to Kroger's to buy some milk and some Cheerios for their kids for breakfast that morning because it's been a lean week. And they're taking 20 bucks out of the bank to pay the kids' cafeteria bill that's overdue by a week. Mm -hmm. That is how the vast majority of the world is living. And as a leader, your job is to listen, is to make it safe for your people to share their fears. Everybody's got a kid who's vaping. Everybody's got a mother in law moving into dementia. Everyone's got a bill they can't pay. And nobody on this NBA team, these were fine people, no one could even relate to it. And I got hmm. a bit stern and I said, See, the fact that you all can't even fathom the shows, you're very disconnected from the other 250 people in this organization. And I am not shaming this group. These were people that are passionate about their customers, their team members, the season ticket holders. They have an enormous social conscience. They're a huge stakeholder in the city. Nothing but great things to say about them. No connection to this Mm -hmm. concept. The higher up you get in the organization, the less you understand how the real person is leading as living. So use empathy. Listen to your people. Let them share their fears. Get get connected. People give their all, not just their heart, but their mind and their back when they feel like their team leader, their teammates care about them. No one quits the leader who they think loves them. That is the ultimate inoculation against distraction, disengagement, disenfranchisement, quitting, going across to the other real estate company or the accounting firm. No one leaves for the free soda machine or four bucks more an hour or a half a percent commission if they feel like their leader loves them. And to me, that is the most powerful thing you can do. You do it through listening. You do it through quiet. You do it through challenging your paradigms, recognizing you're not the smartest person in the room, the genius maker, not the genius. But that I think is the most powerful way to build a culture that is unstoppable, where people don't have to wait for you to tell them what to do, they're so focused and so disciplined, they know what their biggest contribution is. Because they know you love them, and they don't want to let you down.
1: Sorry, I'm it's a long story.
0: Say, it's a long story. You're all good, man. I'm hearing you say, Scott, that the one thing is empathy. I think so. Which, well said. which leads, Which leads to my follow-up question. Are you naturally an empathetic person? Would no, you, would you care? no. Me neither. So this no. is actually, I'm asking this coming from the the position of being a student where I'm literally in the middle of a 66-day challenge right now to become more empathetic because it's not my natural behavioral style. Yeah. What have you done along your journey? Since it's not your natural either, how have you become more empathetic as a leader?
2: You know, when you're managing your career, and and I've lived my entire career almost 25 years now, 24 years at Franklin Covey, before that the Disney Company, you know, I'm not naive. I have to manage my own career. I don't turn my career over to anybody, right? I I was a commissioned salesperson, but my, my compensation has always been tied to performance. My salary is half my comp. The other, I have to earn it, whether it's through global profit or through my own. So I'm, I have to balance my needs with other people's needs. And I'm always mindful of, am I helping lift someone else up? Am I so focused on my own needs, my own career, my own fame, my own celebrity, my own income? And I have to consciously check in and and ask myself, what am I doing for Drew today? What am I doing for Annie, for them? Not what am I doing for them so they can do for me? What am I just selflessly doing, selflessly doing for others? To me, it's a question I ask multiple times a day because I'm a naturally generous person, but I'm not Mm. a naturally empathic person. Because I talk a lot, as you can tell. I have got to shut up. I've got to listen. You know, I was reading a book. I'm getting ready to interview Brian Grazier, the famous producer from Imagine Entertainment, for my podcast. He wrote a book called The Curious Mind. Mm. And it's all about being curious. And he said, curiosity leads to empathy when you generally care about someone else. When you genuinely mm. care, that's when you become curious enough to listen to their answer, and it's a frame of mind, right? It's, it's, you you grow it, so it's a struggle for me too. It's you know I have other great qualities, right? I'm an honest person. I'm a loyal person. I'm the kind of guy you call at three in the morning to bail you out of jail. I'm the kind of guy you call because you got a major problem and you need someone who's a confidant to help you with it. But I struggle, and I'm really working like you. Maybe I should take your challenge on um, on developing empathy.
0: Interesting. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll ask you, for those of you who are listening, how many of you find yourself to be a naturally empathetic person? And, and when Scott and I were first having the, this discussion, preparing for this, when we talked about uh, becoming the leader for the future, I mean, that's that's where you went. You're like, just empathy, that vulnerability, because uh, it's what people need in today's culture. Scott, I'm curious, you know, along your journey, I'm sure you had certain... A certain notion of what leadership was when you started. And I've got to imagine that you fast forward to today that that has been refined. How has it changed?
2: Fundamentally different. I'm glad you asked that question because I thought leaders were loud, charismatic, Mm. uh, uh, big personalities, persuasive, influential. They were sort of personality traits. And I was attracted to that kind of person. I, I like people who are demonstrative and confident. I even like a little bit of arrogance. I like that in some leaders early on in my career. And I thought that people who were shy and quiet, confident and humble, I thought they were weak leaders. And as I have matured, I realized it isn't all one or all another. Is that leadership is about confidence mm-hmm. and confident people are humble people. It is arrogant people who are incapable of being humble. So I think, you know, leadership takes on different forms and fashion. We cleave to different people. Leadership is about being high on character and high on competence. Because uh, I can trust you as a physician to babysit my kids. But if you've had 15 male practice suits, you're not cutting open my, my abdomen, right? And The vice, the opposites, you know, is the case too. So you got to be high in character and high on competence. You can be a talented physician with no malpractice, but if you've had bankruptcy 15 times, I'm like, what's going on here, right? So it it Mm -hmm. takes a a balance of character and competence. Um, I want to lead some, I want to be led by someone who is trustworthy, meaning they have behaved themselves into a pattern, reputation of being honest with high integrity. Um, They don't cut the corners. They admit their mistakes they tell the truth they deliver on their promises no longer am i only attracted to the personality traits of loud and persuasive because oftentimes those are a cover for something not always mm-hmm. not always um i'm not easily fooled but as i as i'm aged at 51 i'll take character over competence every day of the week because Competence is easier to teach than character. Fundamentally, someone's character is deeply rooted into them, probably since birth. I can teach a lot of skills. Character's hard.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. I keep thinking about how do I become the type of leader that people want to follow, and I naturally go to um, the downside. Those things that you see people violate that. If they violate those core tenets, they'll never be the type of leader that people want to follow. What are some of those things that you have seen that if, if we yeah. do those things, just yeah. buck
2: stops there. Like yeah. there's
0: there's no more moving forward. It doesn't happen.
2: Yeah. Self regulation, well, one of those is, is regulating your emotions. Is having the discipline to manage your anger, your your outrageous frustration that somebody has violated your trust. Or has not delivered on a promise or has lied to you. I work for the CEO of Franklin Covey. His name is Bob Whitman, a man of, of un, unparalleled competence, Harvard MBA, enormously successful. He is unbelievably in control of his emotions. He never loses his cool. We all have tempers, we all have frustrations, but you've got to self regulate. There is never a reason to lose your cool with someone. It doesn't mean you don't you know, blow off some steam, but I mean, you got to respect people. That's the first thing. Second thing is you don't cheat. I think it was John Huntsman, the billionaire chemical guy from Utah. That's what a book called Cheaters Never Win or Winners Never Cheat, one of those two. And that's the case is I once had someone say to me 15 years ago, it was a salesperson, and at the end of the quarter in a public company, she came to me, and uh, my name was Julie Martin. I remember where I was, and she said, "Scott, I got to tell you, you never cheat your way to the finish line. I would rather miss my quota, miss my goal, than to ship something to a phantom warehouse or or double book an invoice. Um, I don't cheat uh, because your character is what you do when no one's watching, right? So I think uh, uh, above even skill and competence is you cannot cheat. Done something wrong cop to it. People are forgiving. If you've done it illegal, you got to pay the price for it, right? But people are usually very forgiving if you come. Whenever I've made a mistake and I've made some doozies, not ethical issues, but I've made some mistakes. I'm the first one to tell the CEO. He hears it from me first. Mm -hmm. I walk in and because I want him not to be ambushed by somebody else. I just lay it out. And you know what? The consequences are the consequence. Fortunately, I've never done anything material enough to warrant dismissal. We've all had mistakes in our lives. Self-regulate your emotions and never
0: cheat. I love that. I love that. It, a very clear compass to go by.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm, star- I'm staring at your, your book in front of me, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And it's, it's the specific subtitle, The 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. What is the, your, of all the 30 challenges, what's the one that you, is your favorite that you've gone on yeah. that helped you become more of a leader you yeah. want to follow?
2: 100% number four, declare your intent. And this this idea of absent facts, people make stuff up. Everybody <laughs> has, it's true, right? It's true. It's an old PR adage. Um, everyone's got an agenda, everyone's got a hidden agenda including everybody on this podcast. Some are more transparent than others. Some are more obfuscated. Some are higher or lower. Everyone's got an agenda. I love this quote from one of our co-founders. He said, and this is prophetic, he said, nearly all, if not all conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. I'm going to repeat it. Nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Think about it. With your boss, with your colleagues, your mother-in-law, your neighbors, whatever it is, just declare your intent up front. Mm. Show your cards. My intent is not to destroy the shade over your porch. My intent is to keep that branch from crushing my vintage um, Carmen Ghia. So is there some way that we could find common ground? So you have your shade and my car isn't crushed and your insurance rates don't go up by you filing a claim with your, Mm. with whoever it is, right? Is if you just declare your intent and use those, use those words. My intent, Jeff is to help you have a great career here at Franklin Covey and you're behaving in some ways that if they continue, I'm going to have to exit you. My intent. It's very clear, I want you to have a great career. So leaders have to move outside their comfort zone and declare their intent. Because if you don't declare your intent, others will ascribe it for you. And it takes a level of courage, a level of diplomacy. may have to practice it. Everybody listening, start your conversations with the following. My intent is to help you move your project along and not slow it down. But there's four questions I need answers to, and once those are answered, I will skyrocket your project forward. Otherwise, people will think, well, Scott just wants to slow it down, or I think Scott... No, no, no. I've already declared my intent. It's very clear. That's the one I'm most passionate about.
0: Oh, that hit me so hard. Within the last year, I remember hearing somebody... um, I'm a part of a a group of family men who own businesses rather than businessmen who happen to have families. Very clear on... The order of those two called front row dads, and I remember somebody saying that uncommunicated expectations are merely a down payment on resentment. Love it. And we, were talk- we were talking, we were talking about it in the framework of our of relationship with our wives. But how many times do we have these expectations that we never communicate, and it's just we're laying the foundation for the resentment baby. And daily, it, it's to- daily. Oh yeah, and it applies to our professional life. So I love the idea of declaring your intent. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So we've, we've knocked that domino down. We become the type of people who declare our intent. We've earned the right to go on another challenge. What would number two of the 30 be for you?
2: I think this idea of number 12, lead difficult conversations. You know, In every mm-hmm. aspect of our life, you've got to summon the courage to discuss the undiscussables. Now, you have to do it by balancing, you know, consideration and diplomacy with an unbridled level of courage, because I've been known to eviscerate people verbally because I have few boundaries. I'll discuss your body odor. I'll discuss your breath. I'll discuss your punctuality. I'll discuss your pipeline. I'll discuss, you know, whatever. Because as a leader, You don't want to be the person who perpetuates their blind spots. The biggest gift you can give Um, to your people is to move outside your comfort zone and talk to people about their blind spots. Inevitably, I'll be in an airport, Jeff, and someone will see me after I terminated them 15 years ago. They'll say, Scott, let me tell you, you are often a jerk, but you were the one leader in my career that had the courage to call out this or that. So I think the next one is this idea of leading difficult conversations. People say to me, Scott, but it's so easy for you. Yeah, I came out of the womb talking straight. No, I didn't. I screwed up tons of them, right? And I my HR file isn't a file. It's probably an expandable folder because I got the first couple dozen wrong. But like a muscle at the gym, you grow and you learn and you practice them. And so as a leader, it's okay to say, "Hey Jeff, I called you in today because my intent is to help you have a great career here. And there's a topic that I want to discuss with you, and I, quite frankly, I'm a little bit nervous about it. And I might use the wrong words. I might even need a do-over. But I want to talk to you about your contribution to this project. It seems like you're not carrying your weight, and people are beginning to talk about it. That is your gift to everyone, is leading these difficult conversations. Become that transition figure. In someone's life, where you have the courage not to be liked, but to add value to what they can't see. Everyone's got blind spots, including you. And there's that person in our life that has the courage to move outside the chance that you might not say it right or that you're too much of a pansy. We haven't thought, you know what, sit them down, declare your intent. I love you. I care about you. Something is going on. I'm not sure you can see it. I'm just going to let it out. I may need to do over. Please don't judge it. My intent is to help you. That is a leader I want to work for.
0: Yeah. It, when you say it, it sounds so simple. And I can think about the times in my life and just the other leaders that I know where, even though we understand, if we don't say that we're not serving them, it's there's something that still stops us. It, and you said it, getting outside of your comfort zone sounds simple in words, really challenging to do. How, yeah, did, you com- yeah, How did you get yeah. comfortable with the discomfort? Yeah. Yes, role-played it, right? Went to HR,
2: went to my wife, went to the executive team member, and I role-played the conversation. It doesn't mean I ever disclosed the person's name. I, I can role-play a conversation with you. You have no idea if it's Tina or Tom, right? But then people can give me feedback. Well, Scott, you kind of said it really fast. Or Scott, your brow is furrowed. You seem like you're angry at it. I'm not angry, I'm passionate. You look angry. I'm passionate. Well, you look angry. So I think, I think practice. I think you get more comfortable. If your intent is in a pure place, if your job is not to railroad them or embarrass them or diminish them, if your job is to lift them, say it out loud. Say, you know what? I want you to know my intent is to build your brand here and to really make you more successful. I hope you believe that. And in saying that, I'm going to share with you the fact that it appears, like me, you may have broken through your antiperspirant. In the summertime in Texas, it's hot. And before anybody else notices, I want you to know sometimes our bodies build up a resistance to our deodorant. I think, like me, you might have as well. So I just want to tell you that. That's a tough conversation. That is a huge gift to someone. If you don't care whether they like you or not, if what you care about is them, you'll have these conversations. And if you role play them, practice them, they will become easier. I promise you. You will screw up the first dozen or so. But if you role play them with someone and practice them, watch someone else do it. How would you handle this? Listen to their words. You'll build your vocabulary. You'll build your empathy. You'll build an awareness of your own style. I mean, I get on stage and I see videos of me. I'm not smiling. I look angry. I'm like, I was on top of the world. But once you have a little more self-awareness, you think, you know what? I need to smile more. I look really stern. Mm. I have these conversations. I look angry. I'm not angry. I'm just super passionate. I think once you build your own self-awareness around your own style, they start to become more comfortable.
0: A mentor of mine shared with me a while ago. He said, you know, it's really tough to read the label when you're inside the box. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and we are all in our own box, my friend. Right, well, folks, if you, if you, these two for me are, have been huge. And Scott has 28 more of them inside his book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And Scott, you've been holding up these cards as well. Yes. Where, where do we learn more about the book? How do we get those cool cards?
2: Yeah. So the book, you can visit managementmess.com. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble Books Million. The book is everywhere. It's in every airport bookstore like yours like yours. Mm-hmm. Um the, we make good the, neighbors. You, you do. You make good friends. The the cards I actually give out during all my keynote speeches. You can't buy the cards separately. If I come and give a keynote speech to your organization, the cards are a part of that. They're a great tactical tool. If you uh, if you want to follow me on LinkedIn and send me a message on LinkedIn today, I'll tell you what, if you send me your email address, I won't come or your physical mailing address, I won't come to your house. But if you, email, if you send me a message on LinkedIn, give me your uh, physical mailing address. Tell me you heard me on the One Thing podcast. I'll have my colleagues ship you out one deck of cards. Anybody listening today, find me on LinkedIn, Scott at Franklin Covey. And if you send me your physical mailing address, I'll send you a deck of the cards today. How's that?
0: Did, is Drew going to hate you now?
2: No, Drew's a MacGyver. <laughs> no, Drew is MacGyver. Drew there says yes go. to everything.
0: Oh, uh, there's a book about that, you know. <laughs> uh, well, also- well, Scott, I, I I really appreciate you coming on and investing your time to to share your experience. I, I just I love everything that you said, and very specifically the declaring your intent. I think made me really reflect on the conversations I've had where I have an opportunity to top grade by simply saying at the beginning, "This is what I'm trying to accomplish. This is what success yeah. looks like to me. This is where it's coming from," and hope that the spirit matches
1: yeah
2: well said my honor to be on today thanks for the platform
0: awesome all right folks well that does it for this month's webinar for the one thing every month we have a brand new author if you go to the one thing com slash webinar you can see who's coming up next month this will also be released on the podcast in the very near future Well, there you have it, our conversation with Scott Miller, the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership for Franklin Covey. The one thing that really stood out to me was that first challenge that he suggested. Challenge number four, to declare your intent. I mean, it was so profound to me when, when somebody shared with me that uncommunicated expectations are merely a down payment on resentment. And I love how he said nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Folks, declare your intent because if you don't, others will ascribe it for you. Think about the times in your life where uh, an important relationship, there was real tension. You were not on the same page. Had you declared your intent clearly, what would have changed? Based on that, can you... In the next week, just once when you enter a conversation, declare your intent. Hey, my intent in this conversation is to get really clear so that you are successful by the end of your 90 days inside our organization. Hey, my intent here in this 411 conversation is to make sure that you're absolutely clear on your priorities so you have the most productive week possible. Hey, my intent in this conversation is to help you identify one thing that you can say no to so that you can say yes to your one thing. Folks, that's a lead domino. During the beginning of this episode, we talked about the importance of breaking your goals or those results down into behaviors. In our language, it's the lead domino. And it's not like that you knock that two-inch domino down and all of a sudden, extraordinary results are yours. It's about understanding that if you can become the type of person who day after day after day, over time, knocks that lead domino down effortlessly, over time, everything else does become easier or unnecessary. Based on everything you heard in this episode, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make being the leader you want to follow easier or unnecessary? We would love if you would go to your podcast player of choice, leave us a review for this specific episode. Say, I listened to episode 219 with Scott Miller. The one thing I got from it is blank. Tell us. We see every single rating and review. It's a direct way for you to communicate with us. And it also helps us fulfill our purpose of reaching more people and helping them have a relationship with their goals. If you are new to the One Thing Podcast, welcome to the community. We are so glad that you are here. Make sure you click that subscribe button so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. If you'd like support, beginning to live the one thing, head over to theonething.com slash training. You can check out our basics courses. These are the basic principles of the one thing in 15 minutes or less for free. Thank you for investing your time with us today. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.